Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for January 29th, 2018. Six-game slate for Matt and I to talk about. We have some injuries and kind of the kind of the usual. This is my favorite size slate, usually around six games. But it looks like that there's not a ton of good spots or value right now, but that could always change because I think there is a couple of decent spots if guys get ruled out. So first game on the slate is the Charlotte Hornets at the Indiana Pacers. This is probably going to be the highest scoring or at least one of the highest scoring games on the slate. The issue is just the pricing for a lot of these players. Dwight Howard is at 9,100. He's been really good lately, and the Pacers are really bad against centers. So I guess he's okay as somebody to pay up for, but he's far from my favorite guy. Just because I think that there's other guys, even other centers, who I think are better in his price range. Then Kemba Walker, 8,500. I mean, at 8,000, I think that's a little bit too high for him. Uh, one guy who's maybe worth rostering at GPP is Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. On the whole, he has not been good this year. But when he does play well, he usually scores like over 30 fantasy points. And if he doesn't play well, he usually scores around 15. And there really aren't a lot of games in between. So for the upside, I think Kid Gilchrist is worth it for a pretty cheap price. From the Pacers side of the game, the front court situation now is pretty muddled because Miles Turner's back. Turner came off the bench last game and only played 12 minutes. I would expect he plays more minutes this game, but I still wouldn't expect a full minutes load for him. But still, even some minutes of Miles Turner is enough to take away some playing time from DeMontis Sabonis and Thaddeus Young. So I don't think either of them are good plays in this matchup. And then Victor Oladipo... I think he's fine at this price when he has a good matchup, but 9,300 in a matchup against the Hornets, who are one of the better teams against shooting guards, I don't have any interest in. Yeah, this should be one of the highest scoring games of the night. It's um, 215 total, which is actually the same total as the second game we'll get to. And I think you said it right on um, on Dwight Howard as a center pick, because there's two, maybe even three guys in his price range that I think are better plays, and it sounds like you think they're better plays also. It's a game that should have a lot of scoring, but it's just, it's either minutes crunches, like with the Pacers, where there just are a lot of guys now with Miles Turner back, or just too high of prices, uh, more so on the Charlotte side, and then kind of on the Indiana side too. I think Oladipo is probably a little expensive. There's probably not a ton of upside for him at 9,300. So this might just be a game to fade. I think MKG does make some sense. I think that's a fine flyer, but I definitely would rather use other players at that price point if there's value that opens up. I think Kid Gilchrist would be someone to use if there aren't any good injury updates or just no injury updates at all where we don't end up with any good punt plays. I think if we don't have that, then I would use more Kid Gilchrist. And I think you could say the same about Corey Joseph, who at 3,800 has kind of just been okay. Actually, bringing up his game log now, I, I think he really only does well in blowouts, so... We're probably not going to see that here. I guess I'll, I'll take that back on Joseph, unless you actually think this game will be a blowout. But it should be a close game. It should be a fairly high-scoring game. And we still really can't do much with it. Yeah, it's just the issue is the inflated pricing for a lot of the guys, especially the Indiana front court, just because we've had Miles Turner has been out. So Sabonis and Thaddeus Young played extra minutes and played well, and now they're priced up and Turner's back. So... We have a couple of situations like that tonight, and another one is in this game, the Minnesota Timberwolves at the Atlanta Hawks. So Jimmy Butler is now back. No issues about his minutes. He played, 
35 minutes for his first game back against the Nets. He missed four games with knee soreness and right off the bat comes right back 35 minutes thrown into the fire in a game that also wasn't really particularly close for most of the game. So Tibbs right back to his usual tricks. But with Jimmy Butler back now, we have Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins are both priced up from some extra, extra... Towns didn't even play that well when Butler was out, except his price is still the second highest it's been all season. Um, in terms of centers that I prefer to pay up for to Dwight Howard, I still prefer Carl Anthony Towns. But still, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is some kind of must-play on the slate. I think Towns or Butler are fine as individual plays. Wiggins is a bit too expensive for me. For his price, Teague is my favorite play on the Timberwolves and probably is the best individual matchup of any of their starters against Dennis Schroeder, who's not a good defender. From the Hawks' side of the game, Schroeder is the safest bet for minutes. He is probably going to play 30-plus minutes. That is not the case for any other player on the roster. For a smaller slate, I think Kent Bazemore and Torian Prince are both okay as GPP plays just because they're relatively cheap. They do have some big games. Just the issue is that the floor is really low because both of them at times have played under 20 minutes in recent games. So there is a chance that they just totally dud due to bad production, not a lot of playing time. So they're GPP plays only. Yeah, so Andrew Wiggins, who you mentioned, he was priced up a bit when Butler was out, and he's still more expensive than he had been when Butler was playing. And I think that that's the case with Carl Anthony Towns, too. So just by that alone, the prices are inflated on those guys. I don't think that they're good values just because they're overpriced. But maybe you could still use Towns just because there aren't a lot of good expensive choices. I think I prefer him to Butler, but I think I'll use a lot of neither. Um, Teague would be my favorite player also from the Wolves. Uh, the Vegas line for this game is a little interesting. The Wolves opened as 6.5-point favorites, and the line is already down to 5.5. We're not even at midnight yet on Sunday night. So there's definitely some sharp money on the Atlanta side. The public is on the Minnesota side. The public is against the Hawks in basically every game they ever play. So a point of line movement this early towards the Hawks is a pretty good indicator for them. I won't say that the blowout risk is low, but I think it's lower than people would think. And... It's a decent matchup for the Hawks. Um, the total for this game at 215, reasonably high. But I think the guy it's the best matchup for is Dennis Schroeder. Uh, point guard is the biggest position of weakness defensively for Minnesota. And Schroeder has been really bad in his last two games. Uh, at least one of those was basically entirely due to a blowout. I think it was it was one blowout and then one game with just really extreme foul trouble. So Schroeder's actually... Um, he said two games in a row with five fouls uh, before the last one where he only had three fouls, but it was a blowout against the Wizards, so he only played 29 minutes. You have to go back a few games, actually, to find a close game where Schroeder wasn't in foul trouble, and he actually had a stretch of three games in a row where he scored at least 40 fantasy points. Uh, he had a 41, a 46, and a 54. Those were, it was two good matchups, and then one was against the Spurs. All those games were at home. Um, I'm comfortable paying in the 7,000s for him. I think most people won't because of how bad he's been, but I think it's been circumstantial. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. Um, I don't think that the returning players from injury affect him at all. I think it affects the front court. I think it affects mostly guys like Collins and Dwayne Dedman. It might even affect Torian Prince and Kent Bazemore a little, although I, I do think that those guys are worth playing. So the move for me, I think, would be to play Schroeder with one or the other between Prince and Bazemore. 
I'm going to guess that they're, well, it's kind of hard to know because there's not a ton of sample with the Hawks being fully healthy, but would you think that Prince and Bazemore are a little bit negatively correlated since they sort of play the same position? Well, I could look it up. Um, yeah, I just don't know how much we can trust what the data says there because the Hawks have just had so much fluctuation with which players are healthy and which players are in the in and out of the lineup for them. Um, I would say that they probably still have a positive correlation just because of the minutes. I think that they've gotten blown out in so many games this year that there tends to be more games where they both played well simply because it has to be competitive for them both to play a decent amount of minutes. Right. If the game's a blowout, Prince and Bazemore are probably both off the court in the fourth quarter. But if the game's close, they're probably both on the court in the fourth quarter. So maybe by that same logic, you'd want to use someone like Ersan Ilyasova or I think Dwayne Dedman would be the big man that plays down the stretch if the game is close. But you're kind of guessing there. Um, so I think I'll stick to just the first three guys that you mentioned, Schroeder and Prince and Bazemore. Uh, it would be a little bit of a reach, I think, to use anyone else on the Hawks. And you probably don't want exposure to too many Hawks players if you're not really using anyone on the Wolves side because then you just have a really lopsided game stack and it's it's just too much exposure on one side of the game without any on the other. So the strongest positive correlation on the entire Hawks team is Kent Bazemore to inference. That is uh, definitely counterintuitive, but I think it, it makes sense um, just thinking about the blowout aspect of it. I think that that's, that's a good point. Just They're both going to be on the court in a close game and they, they won't be on the court in a blowout. Yeah, and I think they're cheap enough to roster together. So I would look – I'm more concerned about players positively or negatively correlating if they're both expensive players or if there's like a super strong positive correlation and they're kind of like fringy type plays Then I think it makes sense to play them together. Uh, but when a guy is 5,100 and 4,700, I think they're, they're cheap enough where there isn't like a ton of value to cut into one way or the other, but also a little relevant anyway because they positively correlate. Yeah, I think it's more relevant with, let's say, the Denver situation, which we'll get to, where the players don't have much value in their pricing. It's just guys that might be fairly priced, and if you want to reach there, then you might as well use players that are actually correlated. Okay, so the next game here is the Phoenix Suns at the Memphis Grizzlies. This is the game that's hardest to draw conclusions on right now. From the Phoenix side, Devin Booker and Alex Len are both questionable. This is the second half of a back-to-back, so... I would assume that once again we see Greg Monroe start and Tyson Chandler get rested for this game. Assuming that's the case, I think Greg Monroe is fine to play 5,600. I know it's a really tough matchup against Marcus Gasol. It's a down-paced matchup. But Greg Monroe has had very few fantasy games starting for the Suns where he scored under 30 fantasy points. And it's not like he can't play well against the Memphis Grizzlies because he's made one start against the Grizzlies this year and he scored 32 fantasy points in it. So I wouldn't look at that as a reason to roster him, but I would look at it as a reason to at least say that we know it's possible that he has a good game. And Greg Monroe at 5,600, I just think there's a lot of upside there. He's had so many games over 30 fantasy points this year. So I think that's a good situation. Then there's also going to be a lot of extra usage in the Phoenix offense if Devin Booker can't play. And most of that figures to go to TJ Warren and Greg Monroe. So Monroe, I think, is probably going to be a good play at 5,600. We just kind of have to check to make sure the actives, inactives for the Suns that we know that he is definitely starting, and it's not a thing where, hey, we're starting Tyson Chandler anyway, because the Suns have done weird things with their rotations. They could change things up at any point in time. But as of right now, I'm assuming that Greg Monroe is starting for them at center. From the Grizzlies side of the game, we have Tyreek Evans' questionable play with an illness. 
he hasn't played for a week now. So I, I don't know how serious of an illness this could be where I could realistically expect him to sit another game. So I do think that Tyreek Evans is more likely to play than not, but I also felt that way for last game, and I texted Matt about it, and then he got rolled out two minutes before lineup lock. So yeah, I, I think two minutes is actually a little bit of an overstatement of how close to lock it was. I think I think you texted me at 6.59 and change. I think maybe I had 15 seconds to spare to get Tyreek Evans out of my lineup because actually I wasn't looking at my phone for the basketball monster uh, for the the tweet update, I actually got the text from you through my computer, and it was just so you, you helped me because it was just in time to get Tyreek Evans out. Um, I, I think he was I think he was ruled out like two minutes before before lock, and I probably I probably texted you like fifteen minutes before saying like, I'm just assuming that Tyreek Evans is playing right now, uh, and then he got ruled out two minutes before, so I was like, oh, never mind, he's he's ruled out, and then I guess he global swapped him. Uh, but if he is out. Then Wayne Selden is going to start again. He should play decent minutes. He's been awful his last two starts, but his usage is still fairly high for the season. He has a 25% usage rating. So I, I think that he's worth using as a GPP play if he's starting and Tyreek Evans is rolled out. I just think that as of now, Evans is more likely to play than not play. Well, I'll start with Greg Monroe here. If Evans and Booker are both out and we know that Monroe's starting, I think He's one of the stronger plays on the entire slate. And I think the reason I would have more exposure to him there is that the more injuries we have in this game, the more stackable it becomes with cheaper players having more more value in their prices. And then you would just, if you're going to have a few guys from the same game, you might as well reach a little bit further and have um, just have as many of them as you can. And yeah, with Booker out, there would be more usage for Monroe. Um, so if we just know that Monroe's starting, but Booker is in, I think he'd be someone to have some exposure to, but not a ton. Uh, but if Booker's out and Monroe's starting, it's a really good spot for him. And then if Tyreek Evans is out, I think, yeah, Wayne Selden's a really strong play. I think there are a bunch of Grizzlies guys that are really strong plays. Uh, I would be fine with using Mark Gasol. He actually wasn't someone I was thinking of when we were talking about possible centers to use instead of Dwight Howard. 8,500 is a lot for him, but with no Tyreek Evans, I think I'd be fine with it in a pretty good matchup against the Suns at home. Actually, probably one of the best matchups that anyone can have. Um, so we'll just need to see injury news here. I think Selden could be playable anyway, even if Evans is in. I think I would take a chance and play him if we don't know what Tyreek's status is before the game. Because um, I don't think that he's expensive enough to hurt you that much at 3,800, where if Tyreek ends up playing and Selden only gets 20 to 25 minutes, maybe he scores 15 to 20 fantasy points. I mean, that's not a disaster, and... He still could do well with Tyreek Evans playing. They, the, the Grizzlies are already missing Mike Conley. They already are missing, I think it's James Ennis and Chandler Parsons and Jermichael Green. So there's still a lot of minutes to go around. It's not like Wayne Selden won't play if Tyreek Evans is playing. Um, and then Jarrell Martin, I think, would be the next guy to look at. Um, guys like Chalmers and Andrew Harrison and Dylan Brooks, though, I think would only really be usable if we know that Evans is out. So we'll we'll really just need to see, but this this game could potentially become really stackable if we get the right injury news. Um, but if if Booker and Evans are playing, I think it's a tough game to use outside of Monroe, and I definitely don't think I would roster Devin Booker at eighty seven hundred if he's active. Yeah, I, I hope that there's some injuries for this game, just because I, I think that is a pretty strong stack spot. Uh, I know that Memphis plays at an extremely slow pace, but this is just where most of the best value would be if we've guys like Booker and Tyreek Evans out. 
So next game here is the Philadelphia 76ers at the Milwaukee Bucks. So Joel Embiid, I think, is an interesting player for this game because as of right now, he is expected to play. He's never played in a back-to-back in his entire career to this point. He is expected to play tomorrow, but it's not a guarantee for right now. They're going to wait and see like how sore he feels after playing today. If he does play, I don't think he's playable in cash games at 9,800. But for GPPs, he's interesting just because, well, one, he's really good. And then the Bucks are giving up the fifth most fantasy points to centers this year. So Embiid at 9,800, if he was just playing the Bucks at 9,800 in this matchup and there was no back-to-back issues, he would be my favorite player to pay up for on the entire slate. I'm just a little concerned that since the first back-to-back he's ever played, maybe they hold him to 28 minutes or something like that. Uh, so we'll kind of have to see what happens with that tomorrow. If he is out, then uh, let's see. Ben Simmons at 8,900. I still think that's probably a little much for him because he's going to be guarded by Giannis, so I'll be off him no matter what. But guys like Sarge and Covington I think would be decent plays if Embiid doesn't play and then uh, – uh, who else? Um, probably Amir Johnson or maybe Rashawn Holmes would end up starting and playing decent minutes. So I think either of them could be in play. But that's also assuming that Embiid's out. From the Bucks side of the game, Giannis at 11,000, Middleton 7,100, uh, Bledsoe 6,900. I just think this is a lot of fair pricing for all these guys across the board. Malcolm Brogdon is questionable to play if he can't go. Then I think Sterling Brown is worth looking at as a punt at 3,700. He came off the bench today, played 28 minutes, scored 26 fantasy points. And the game before, also with Brogdon out, came off the bench 27 minutes, 18.75 fantasy points. So I think if Brogdon out, he's a usable punt. Um, so even though it's kind of unclear what's going on with Embiid, as long as we find out something, I think it becomes a very straightforward situation. So if Embiid's out, like you said, then Sarge and Covington – and then Holmes or Mir Johnson, whoever's starting, then those guys are all good plays. I think Ben Simmons is off the table for both of us, no matter what. Um, and if Embiid's in and we know that he's going to be playing full minutes, if the Sixers say that he has no restrictions, then Embiid is fine and I probably wouldn't use anyone else on Philly. Um, if Embiid's limited, though, then I think we just fade the Sixers entirely because it, it makes it really hard to trust anyone and... Embiid playing half the game would still take away a lot of usage from other guys, and it would make him unusable. So that would that would probably just be a full fade. So I guess those would be really just the three scenarios, and hopefully we find out before the game which it is. Um, but the other thing for the Bucks side is that if Embiid's out, it's a big boost in the matchup for Milwaukee overall. So that fair pricing might be a little more favorable than it seems right now. Um, but I do think Embiid will play. I mean, the Sixers said he'll play. We would need to see something pop up for that to change. Um, as of now, though, I would expect Embiid's playing. We're probably going to be told that it's no restriction, and then we just have to hope that that's actually true. So I think he's worth having some exposure to. And I think I'd be off the Bucks side, except for, I guess, Sterling Brown, if Malcolm Brogdon's ruled out. All right. Uh, this is, to me, the least interesting game on the slate, the Miami Heat at the Dallas Mavericks. This is the game you talked about stacking before we started, but I think uh, we both realized that that just is not going yeah, to happen. That was, that was before I looked at the pricing of the players. So, Hassan Whiteside, 7,700, just minutes aren't consistent enough. Goran Dragic, he's priced all the way up to 7,500. 
And the issue here is with Tyler Johnson back, the minutes are just so insecure for him. He only played 23 minutes last game, even though it was a pretty close game. And his price has weirdly gone way up since then. 7500 is actually the most expensive he's been all year. It's not really a tough matchup because the Dallas Mavericks are bad. It's just going to be a slow-paced game because both these teams play at a slow pace. So there's not going to be a lot of scoring here. It's tough to predict the minutes for, for the Miami side. From the Dallas side of the game, I think that Harrison Barnes is kind of a fringe play. And then J.J. Barea and Devin Harris are both questionable. So if they're out, I think that Dennis Smith Jr. is in play just because he would have such a secure minutes floor if both of those guys are out. The guy I was initially thinking of when looking at Barea and Harris and their questionable status uh, was Yogi Ferrell, but he's actually priced up to 4900 now. So even if those guys are out, I don't, I don't really think he's usable. I guess, yeah, Dennis Smith would be usable. Harrison Barnes, but this game is just tough. I think it's it's a game really just to fade unless we know that both J.J. Barea and Devin Harris are out. Um, if Barea's in, though, do you think he's someone to consider? He's still only priced at 4500 Uh, Let's see, 4500 Yeah, I think the issue is just how many minutes are they going to let him play even if he's active he doesn't usually play a ton of minutes i know that we've kind of looked at him as a gpp play recently i i just think that in a tough down pace matchup like we would have to know for sure early on the day that he's totally 100 percent. yeah i think that's fair if there's any question about his health at all then he's not really usable because if he plays only 15 minutes then it's kind of it's kind of a disaster at 4500 um there's Basically, just no upside at forty five hundred if that's that's what he's playing, and it's not like he's that strong of a play anyway. I think yeah, we would need to know that he's fully unrestricted to make him worthwhile uh, for lineups. Okay, final game on the slate is the Boston Celtics at the Denver Nuggets. It's a good matchup for Boston, but we just always have this issue of the minutes and production are so spread out on their team. I think that if you had to roster somebody, probably, let's see, what is Tatum's not been playing well recently? Shooting's really regressed. Uh, Kyrie's been playing better, except his price is way up. Not a lot of upside in Jalen Brown, looking through his game log. If I had to roster somebody, it would probably be Terry Rozier with Marcus Smart out. I don't think that there's a ton of value in the price tag, except 4700 there is still some upside for him, because we have seen when Rozier gets mid-20s minutes, he could score 30 or so fantasy points. He actually had a really weird stretch in the uh, late December where he went 31, 32, 28, 30, 31, 27 fantasy points in a row. So that's really random that he did that. But I, I think that he does have that kind of upside, and we could see him play close to 30 minutes in this game if we're looking for a potential ceiling for his playing time, and it is a plus matchup. Uh, so I think Rogier's okay. Uh, maybe Al Horford. Let's see. What is that's a little expensive for Horford also. <sighs> Pretty uninteresting the Celtics side of the game, even in a good matchup. So Terry Rogier, if you had to roster somebody from the Celtics. From the Denver side of the game, I think Jokic is probably my favorite player to pay up for on the slate for his price. I think he has a lot of upside at eighty six hundred. It is a tough matchup. Except Jokic kind of does a little bit of everything. He gets points, he gets rebounds, he gets assists. He also 
averages a steal and a block per game. So he has enough contributions across the board that he isn't as negatively impacted as tough matchups as other players. And then I also think Gary Harris and Will Barton are also fine plays, but not great plays for their prices. So I agree with you on the Celtics side. It's really just Rogier. I think. Um, he hasn't shot the ball well at all recently, so maybe he's due for some positive regression. I think we can maybe expect that he can be a little more efficient, and if he plays 25-plus minutes, then could be a really strong play. Um, I'm not really interested at all in the rest of the Celtics. And then, yeah, Jokic is the guy to use. We were talking before we started about how he's been playing with Mason Plumlee. Like, they've actually played a lot of minutes together, even though they weren't really supposed to play minutes together ever. But I think it took Jokic some time to figure out how to operate with Plumlee on the court. Uh, he only had more than six assists in a game once in all of December, but he's actually had four games in January with double-digit assists. So maybe he's just become a little more of a facilitator or just he's gotten a better grasp on the spacing playing with Plumlee since they've been doing it more together. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the reason is, but it, it makes sense to me at least that Jokic is a good enough player that he could figure out how to be productive with any combination of players around him. And the the duo with Plumlee was just a little weird for him at first, and he's just figured it out a little bit. So I'm not concerned by the Nuggets lineups at all anymore. Um, I guess it would be better if they played smaller just because they would play a little faster and maybe would be even better for Jokic. But either way, I like him against the Celtics, and I think Gary Harris might be worth considering, too. Uh, we mentioned the correlation before. Gary Harris correlates positively with everyone on Denver, so maybe pairing him with Jokic is a decent strategy. Uh, I'm not sure about the other Nuggets, and I don't know, maybe oh, you could— Since you brought him up, I forgot. I, I don't I don't mind Plumlee in this matchup either, just because Plumlee has played more minutes recently and has played pretty well. So Plumlee's last four starts, he scored 25, 31, 33, and 42 fantasy points. So I, I think that he is fine to roster for this slate also. Um, so that sort of reminded me of one other thing. I guess two things I'll ask you. Uh, do you have any insight on the Jamal Murray situation? Is he back to being unrestricted? And then would the Celtics go with bigger lineups if the Nuggets are going to be going with Jokic and Plumlee together? Yeah, I think that the Celtics will start the Baines-Horford frontcourt, and then Daniel Tice will get some extra minutes also. But not enough where I'd say that I want a roster Baines or Tice because neither one of them usually play much more than, say, like 20 minutes anyway. So I don't think it's a great spot for either of them. Uh, as for Jamal Murray, he came off the bench last game just because of a violation of team rules. So I would assume he goes back into the starting lineup. I just think 6600 is close to his ceiling price this year, and it's a really tough matchup against the Celtics. So I don't really like him in this spot. So I'm going to throw this out before we wrap this up because uh, I regretted not doing it last time. Um, when there's really sharp line movement on a team that's only a small favorite, I guess you don't think blowout risk. The last time it occurred to me was when Minnesota played Cleveland at home a few weeks ago, and the Wolves got some pretty strong line movement to go from like minus one to minus three against the public in a home game. And I actually thought to myself, this could be a blowout spot for the Wolves, and they ended up winning by 30 or so. Um, this game has a similar sort of betting line action going to it. Uh, the Celtics were plus one underdogs. Now it's up to one and a half, I think trending towards minus two. And that's with the public heavy on Boston. I just don't really buy the Celtics being as good as they've played this year. And 
I think Tatum regressing could be part of it. Um, and the Nuggets are also probably just a really good team. They ha- they at least have really good players. They should be a good team. So I'm not predicting a blowout here, but I think Denver should do really well in this spot. I, d- I don't think it's as hard of a matchup for them as people think. Yeah, so as for a blowout, the Celtics have lost two games this year by more than 10 points, and Kyrie was out in one of them. So I'm not really concerned about a blowout for any Celtics game. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it as don't use the Nuggets players because they're going to get up by too much. But I think it could um, be it could be a situation where Denver wins the game by eight to twelve points, and Boston just has to go small ball late because they're down. I think that that's something that you could potentially play for, which would maybe make someone like Terry Rozier more playable and someone like Aaron Baines or Daniel Tice less playable. I don't really think Baines or Tice are particularly playable anyway, because Baines, let's see. So it would be Baines good if started, one of them wasn't there and they just had the other guy where Baines played yeah. 25 minutes or Tice did. Yeah, but or else, I mean, Baines has started 37 games this year and he's averaging 18 and a half minutes per start. So not a lot of minutes, ceiling or floor there. I mean, I think we just know what it is. He's going to play somewhere high teens, low 20s minutes and doesn't really produce particularly well per minute on the season. The the only the only situation where you want to use either one of them is where one of them is out and they're playing a bigger lineup but they have to get more minutes. So that is going to wrap up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back tomorrow because there's uh, an oddly big slate for Tuesday, which we don't usually get.